I'm Matt Davis, the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. Ah, no chance in hell, more like. This is Parts Unknown, and this week we're heading back to 2010 to take another look at WrestleMania 26, which, as you'll surely be aware, took place on my 28th birthday. More than 72,000 people packed out the University of Phoenix Stadium in Arizona to see The Undertaker and Shawn Michaels put on one of the greatest matches in company history. And also, they covered their eyes watching the shitstorm that was 50-year-old Bret Hart versus 65-year-old Vince McMahon. Yeesh. More on both those matches in a moment, Grapple fans. But first, let me introduce my tag team partners. The Shakespeare of song, the Rembrandt of rage, Carrie Dunn. Hello. Big sexy, Carl Anker. Crank it up. <laughs> and Hacksaw Anton Tolui. That's I get the worst one. Thank you. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> Um, let's start with the undisputed highlight of the night. Sean versus Taker, career versus streaker history, going back to that memorable first Hell in a Cell at Bad Blood, 1998. Um, a shame JR wasn't calling it, but that, that's a minor gripe. Carrie, one of the finest finishes, one of the finest matches, maybe the best match in WrestleMania history? Yeah, I wouldn't disagree too much with that. I haven't even got any notes for it because I just kind of watched it and it's just it's just too special to kind of even bother writing notes about. And I guess anyone listening to this will have watched it multiple times already and yeah just just beautiful beautiful textbook marvelous stuff and you kind of expected that carl from the two people involved in the ring but the fact that uh, such a uh, match is so revered when really the outcome of it was plain for all to see as soon as as soon as it was announced that tells you how well the two guys worked how good the build was um maybe suspension of disbelief was difficult but you're still sucked into the match anyway this match is not as good as its predecessor at wrestlemania 25 i think it's it's 1A, 1B, but there's a little bit of a gap. But, but the build, oh my goodness. If you go on YouTube and you type best WWE promos, best WrestleMania promos, this is always there or thereabouts for like top three, top five. It, it's an amazing build. It does play into that history they've got from basically 1997. And and it also has one of my favorite things from Undertaker Street matches where basically the challenger realizing that they're going to lose decide to spit in or like spit in Undertaker's eye. Like, fine, just finish me, which I always like. Anton, two of the best in company history, I would suggest. Um, also interesting, you look back in, into the history of it, you think about the supposed blow-up between Sean and Undertaker between, what was it, Mania 14, when Austin was beating Sean in his, in his last match to take the belt and Taker supposedly taping up his hands backstage and saying to Sean, these are for you if you don't do your job right. A, a lot had changed in the intervening 12 years. Yeah, but Sean had changed a lot in, those, in, the, in that period. I think that's, that's, that's the defining thing. I think Sean Michaels' last probably three WrestleMania matches showed how great he was in terms simply because and how much he adapted his storytelling was second to none two manias before against against Flair and he obviously carried that match and then going into these the fact that I, one of the things I loved about this match so much was the fact that it started quite pacey early on when you've got two guys in their 40s in the ring especially one who's having the last match you're thinking yeah, they're going to try and draw this out they're going to give each other breathers they go to they just went for it and that helped tell the story the intensity of the build up was, was in it and I just thought Sean Michaels sort of when someone comes back from such a bad injury I suppose the the worry is they're not going to be the same actually I think Shawn Michaels was better because he went away and almost studied the craft a little bit more he wasn't this kind of young cocky man he knew what to do on the main events of a big stage and how to how to get across to all the fans not just the emotion of, of, of the scripted performance but also what it meant to him yeah, so for some of our younger listeners who might not know, he got a serious back injury at the Royal Rumble in 1998, stayed through until Mania, but then disappeared from the company for four years, wasn't expected to return, um, but did in spectacular fashion. Um, Carrie, as he left the ring, he says to the camera, I'm going to drive my three kids nuts in about three weeks. And I don't know about in your house, but it got very dusty in mine at that point, And there was something in my throat. And I, because I'll tell you why I can see you turn your nose up slightly. This is our first. What I love about this show is that because we're going in reverse, we're going to see all of Sean's matches rather than this is our first essentially rather than our last but knowing what he'd given to Wrestlemania as a whole and just the fact that he'd actually he stuck to this this was his last match mm. and that made it so beautiful and perfect looking back at it now I didn't get choked up I have to say um I don't really like Sean the person I guess <laughs> I know that sounds ridiculous because I'm not separating character and real person but um yeah, I guess if you're more invested in the Shawn Michaels character than me and you're not still bitter about the screw job, then yeah, maybe. Well, that's, that's one of the things, almost to his credit, I completely agree with you in terms of he's not a, he's not a great human being and didn't have a great past, but also you forget about that when you get involved with these matches, which kind of, you know, it takes a lot for you to forget how much you dislike someone. There's a lot of Shawn 
a lot of Sean at his best plays up to the fact that you, well, the wider consensus is that he's a bit of a clang nut. Yeah, but I don't think you're. I don't think. But I don't think you're watching it, thinking I want you to lose. That's that's no, no, because, no, no. because it's, meant be, like it. it's meant to be tragic. But Sean at his best is when he's a bit nudge nudge wink wink. You think I'm a whatever? Much like Triple H at his best in his modern incarnation is when he's nudge nudge wink wink stood next to an indie guy going, huh, "I'm stealing all of their heat, just like you said I am." Um, yeah, they're two peas in a very weird, lovely bromantic pod. It's going to be interesting as we go on to get into sort of Shawn Michaels and, you know, the differences between the two periods of his career. But we'll move on. I think he's the best. I think he's the best WWE wrestler. I'd be surprised if anyone here, and I'm thinking probably Carrie doesn't, but um, he must be in the other two's top four of all time, surely, WWE wrestlers. There's another gentleman at this WrestleMania who other people go, I'm I'm silly for thinking Shawn is better. It's the other guy, but... As we'll go through, maybe my mind will change. But for now, from what I've seen, Shawn Michaels was the best ever WWE to do it in the ring. I would agree with you, Anton. Mount Rushmore material? No, goodness me. Borderline. He's not Mount Rushmore material. That's 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 that's, that's, that's the difference. difference. That's okay, just all right. Say, yeah. so fair enough. Mount yeah. Rushmore material is your favorite your, rather your, than your the best, best wrestler. Mm. Ah, no. Mount Rushmore material for me is who you want to talk about the story of WWE. Who are the characters that led it? So you have to have Hogan because he led the thing. Then you've got to have Stone Cold, because he was the guy He was the guy that carried them through the Attitude Era, not The Rock. Then you've got to have John Cena, because he carried them through the WWE Universe here. Then you have to have Undertaker, because he was around for all three. Well, we've got different parameters for, for Matt Rushmore, but that's fine. I'm, I'm not having Hogan on Sports mine. Sports conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's go on to the World Heavyweight title match on, on Mania 26, which was Edge versus Jericho. I've put split opinion here because producer Ben really likes it, and I didn't much. I thought it was quite clunky. This comes from a period where Edge had just come back from a serious injury, probably sooner than he should have done at Royal Rumble on the basis that he would get the win there. We got the horribly graphic footage of him getting operated in the hype video, which I thought was really unnecessary and gross. Um, how did it How did it work for you, Anton? Two great wrestlers individually who maybe didn't mesh on the night? The problem is I really like both these wrestlers individually, so I wanted it to be better than it was. Um, and little things like Jericho in a suit in, in the build-up looks weird. And to, you know, I just Because we like him to be the, the inane rock star now. But um, for me, the, the one thing that ruined this match was Strike, Matt Stryker on commentary. This was where, because he had the two Raw commentators and Strike was supposed to be the, the uh, Smackdown guy. So he effectively had the conversational lead. And it was just overly formulaic, trite, scripted line after another. I mean, one point he starts explaining where the Achilles is and how it affects someone's cardiovascular training. And how and just, there's a match going on, mate. <laughs> I, know, I know where the Achilles is. Like there's a whole heel that based mythology thing about it. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> um, so it, that took it away. That also took it away. But also Edge hadn't re- had recently come back. But Edge is his best when he throws his body around, and he's still taking the bumps in this match. So it's also quite awkward to watch it when we go back because obviously we know what happened afterwards. So yeah, I mean, there were great parts of it. You know, the I thought Jericho was classic in terms of the way he manipulated the old injury and and the spear through the back barricades of the table was great. There's some impactful moments. But did it work as a match as a whole? I'm, I agree with you, Matt. I don't necessarily think it did. I'm getting worried now because I love Chris Jericho and I'm beginning to love him less because I've watched a lot of WrestleManias going backwards now where none of these matches are snapping in the way, in my head, Chris Jericho is meant to be. Chris Jericho is meant to be top 10 all-timer wrestling's David Bowie. And he keeps having these WrestleMania matches. I'm going, what? What are you doing? This isn't... This is... You've taken this out of the oven five minutes too early. Um, I, I'm really enjoying the Codebreaker usage. He's basically turned it into like a baby RKO now because he's more athletic. But I didn't really like this match. Um, I thought the wrong decision with Edge not going over. The whole like going through the barricade on the table. Amazing. Fantastic. Why is that not in the match? Why is this a post thing? Obviously, you know, that is resolved in later feuds down the line. But yeah, it was a real, it was a real weird match and probably clearly described by Edge isn't fully fit so we're going to have to keep it on Jericho for a bit longer I think Chris Jericho being in the top 10 wrestlers of all time is a narrative that he's peddled really effectively over the last few years I'm not sure that there's many people who would necessarily stick him straight in there Carrie we, we've been talking about on this series about how there's usually a match for the wrestling fans rather than a sports entertainment match I guess this was supposed to be that 
Yeah, but again, as I say, it's slightly hamstrung by the fact that Edge is clearly not <laughs> ready to go. And then also kind of watching it in retrospect, knowing what's going to happen within 12 months, you kind of think, it's it's uncomfortable to watch. Um, next up, we're going to go on to the Money in the Bank ladder match. Now, these become a, a regular staple of the next few manias that we're going to speak about. They always had a, a Money in the Bank ladder match. There were 10 people in this one, and it's a bit of a who's who, really. Evan Bourne, Jack Swagger, Drew McIntyre, MVP, Shelton Benjamin, Dolph Ziggler, Matt Hardy, Kofi Kingston, Christian, and the new mayor-elect of Knox County. Um, what did we think about this? Um, Carl, I'll let you start. Were, were there two people too many? Could you managed to keep your eyes on what was going on was the unrealistic selling killing it for you all of the above yes mm. uh wow they really liked kofi kingston back in the day didn't they Woo. when it was younger and fresher and, and yeah jamaican <laughs> slash Ghanaian. they his location travels um yeah there's there's a lot going on uh mvp huh. <laughs> that's all i have to say about that <laughs> He had that memorable spot at Raw 25, of course, when he was in the background watching some people playing cards. So it was nice to see him get his, his big return for that. And he was he was almost as memorable um, in this match. Kofi, as you say, running up that ladder, which was kind of lined up against the ring post, and then he slips through it and almost breaks his leg. There's lots of moments in Money in the Bank matches where you see either a botch spot, which is kind of like, oh, you get the UF'd up chance or whatever, or a spot where you think... That was really, really dangerous, and your life was almost changed because of it. Is it is it worth it? I don't know how Shelton Benjamin's alive. <laughs> Watch the next three manias and tell me how Shelton Benjamin is alive and still going in his forties now. I don't understand. This was I put the words hot mess next to this because ladder matches can be brilliant, and this was just they're throwing too many things and too many gimmick, too many gimmicky elements to this match in terms of you know the whole well, like you said running up the ladder when when there's when there's no one holding to the ladder sandwiches, the airborne, and you're just like just calm down, take a couple of people out, make make it shorter, make it more concentrated. It just it just felt like they didn't know. They just thought oh well, people like all the falls and all the spills, and yeah, it was just it was just weird. How about Jack Swagger winning? That was pretty weird. He'd cash in successfully on uh, Jericho at SmackDown shortly afterwards. Um, We spoke a little bit uh, in a previous episode about what he's done outside of the company. What about the run that he had? It feels like they gave him several opportunities to become something and he never really grasped them. Yeah, well, he's one of those kind of athletes that Vince has always liked signing. He's got the right kind of look, but he's got no personality. He's got no charisma and he can't act. So, yeah, that's why he (laughs) failed. There we go. Poor Jack Swagger. Sorry, Jack. I mean, he was a decent wrestler, wasn't he? But And they, they put him with Zeb Coulter to try and give him a bit of uh, you know, a mouthpiece so he didn't have to do much talking. But he was never really anything more than sort of a ring a ring general. Even that's a little bit grandiose for him, isn't it? Something that always gives a titter is the TLC. I think it's TLC where they unify the World Heavyweight title and the WWE Championship. Um, between Randy Orton and John Cena. Oh. And for the event, they got everyone who'd won either the World Heavyweight Championship or the WWE title at the time. Prestigious figures like the great Carly was there, of course. That, so that's the <laughs> shot, right? You've got like everyone on current roster's there. So Del Rio's there, Punk's there, Triple H is there, Cena's there. Like, great, great, great. And then you just see two or three going, oh, yeesh, SmackDown had problems. <laughs> Jack Swagger, great Carly. Let's keep it moving. <laughs> We'll keep it moving with our annual weekly feature. Let's have a rant about what Randy Orton did at a WrestleMania this year. Um, here he beats the rest of Legacy, his faction, which was a great name for a faction for, for three people who were all second or third generation stars or whatever. Cody and Ted DiBiase Jr. being the other two members of it. Orton pins Ted after an RKO. Um, why, did, why did one man beat two? Why, 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 why did, why, why did Cody get punted? seemed harsh as well it just seemed really I don't know I'll have you and then I'm gonna it just felt like it was we don't know what to do with these other two so let's just see if we can get a big pop for Randy because he was over at the time that was the annoying thing as well so the crowd crowd seemed weirdly into it especially when he did double DDT I don't understand I don't understand the whole Randy as you firmly established I don't understand the whole Randy Orton love I don't understand why he's so popular and I don't understand why at least in this match with someone he's been with for what two years in the nearly two years in the build up 
why he couldn't do more to enhance them. So even if he wins, make that make it you know, win by nefarious means or just do something. Don't bury them in this match, and that's effectively what happened. Mm. Carl, you're not having my um, Seth Rollins Edge analogy. If you'll forgive me um, a pun, I'm going to take a punt on another one <laughs> and say: Is there a danger that Roman Reigns in three to five years' time is Randy Orton now? In that there's no development to his character, he stays the same, and we end up with a, a similar problem that we've had with Orton. Well. You've said that, and my eyeballs enlarged three or four times, so, oh my god, that's what's going to happen. Yes. Yeah. Basically, you could have pulled the trigger at 31, you didn't, and you just removed two potential rungs off his... Oh, my lord. Oh, poor Roman. Oh. You've really upset Carl. <laughs> <laughs> You've broken him. <laughs> Please, i got a hot takeaway, though. You've also, you've also broken Roman, so... <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, my notes for this are... Um, Cody Rhodes wrestling without knee pads is really really nice it's a really nice touch because again he clearly puts so much thought and effort into how he comes across um, even when he still hasn't quite coalesced yet um, uh, why is this a triple threat? why Why is Ted DiBiase ju- it's a triple threat and then the two parts of Legacy beat up Randy for ages and then they have a whole fight over who gets to pin Randy which is good that's the best bit of the match and then Randy overcomes and in my notes are like people like Randy Orton question him up They're like Hopefully, as we keep going back in time, we will reach a time where I, I will understand Randy Orton. Maybe we'll get to WrestleMania 21 and his legend killer phase. I'm like, there it is. That's what that's what good Randy Orton is. But I'm still lazy, boring, trite, bland. If I ever see you in real life, you probably listen to this podcast, but I'll still be scared. <laughs> <laughs> Tune in next week for more negative adjectives about uh, Randy Orton. Um, Carrie, just quickly, you got anything to say on this? What's your favourite Ted DiBiase Jr. match? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God bless Ted DiBiase Jr. Um, yeah, my notes simply say, legacy, who cares? <laughs> so, yeah, that's me. And that is a perfect way to take us into the break. Stick around, we'll be talking more WrestleMania 26 next. You're listening to the Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast from Muddy Knees Media. Right, next up, I'm afraid we've got to talk about this next match. Um, This was the first time that I watched this. This is the only WrestleMania before 14 that I hadn't watched in full before we started this. So I hadn't seen Bret Hart versus Vince McMahon. Um, This is our first chance to talk about Bret on the show. Thankfully, we're going to be able to say lots of nice things about him as the years roll on. And now the, the, the key piece of information, I think, about this, so it's, uh, it's basically, you know, a no DQ, do what you want match to Vince McMahon. But Brett had a big insurance payout from the insurance firm Lloyds of London when he was forced into retirement after he was concussed by Bill Goldberg in his WCW days. He got $800,000, but um, part of the, uh, the conditions on that were that he couldn't get hit. So they essentially couldn't do a match. For some reason, they decided to do the match anyway. Brett comes out in his jean shorts with what Vince had described in the build as his stringy, crappy hair, which is one of my favourite McMahon lines of all time. Uh, surrounded by his family, including his brother Bruce, who, as ever, wants to steal the spotlight, wears sunglasses. He's the ref of the match, does a terrible job, keeps trying to count people out when there's no count outs in the match. Vince has tried to uh, get the Hart family to double cross Brett and turn against Brett and go on Vince's side. He's decided not to. They're all there as lumberjacks for some reason, despite the fact that very few of them are wrestlers, although Natty Tyson and um, David Boy Smith Jr. are all out there. Um, I can't I can't really put into words what I thought about this, other than it was deeply uncomfortable, weird, and I'm not sure why they booked it like they did. Yeah, um, uncomfortable was the word that I used as well. Um, I have a really weird obsession with the Hart family. Um, I just find them just fascinating in just a kind of car crash kind of way i have like a league table of worst heart family members <laughs> which i update regularly usually when teddy has done something awful but um where's bruce he's got to be champions bruce, league places bruce all the time is always up there or thereabouts <laughs> yeah. but then teddy does shit like you know write things about how wonderful he is on twitter date um david boy smith jr does that quite a lot as well talks about how great he is and how people do not appreciate him enough what the fuck is wrong with them <laughs> um yeah so my heart family league table and yeah, kind of watching this and watching the setup to it, I felt uncomfortable because I can completely believe that any one of the Hart family would take money from Vince McMahon to screw over any one of their siblings. I don't know whether any of you have read Martha Hart's book. Um, it's it's really Martha being the late Owen's wife. Yeah, um, Owen Hart's widow, and it's it's a very very sad book, obviously. But um, 
she talks about how after immediately after Owen's death and Vince is trying to kind of make it up to them and trying to bring the hearts all back into line and they're all basically just trying to jockey for position to get a job with WWE and I'm just thinking that is exactly what I'm seeing played out this Wrestlemania it's so horrible horrible to watch and yeah and also because obviously I think the screw job was real and it's just all just horrible <laughs> it's just horrible I don't want to watch it it's just oh Oh, the hearts, yeah. Um, Anton, why didn't they just make this a tag match and they both have a partner and they could both come in and have a 30-second exchange that ends with Brett putting the sharpshooter on Vince? Why can't I just have a prostate exam instead of watching this match? There's so many questions. <laughs> so many questions. Um, I don't understand the Brett Hart thing. I, I just don't get it. I don't understand why he was, ever, why he was so popular. I, 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 know, I know that's probably... But I just... I don't. He's arrogant. He's dull. He's this horrible abrasive voice. He's sullen. He's self-entitled. He's a dick in jean shorts. I don't understand. SummerSlam. Yeah, well, it's, it's not enough. SummerSlam. Not enough. Not, not... When we do one where we go back in time and watch SummerSlams. It's not enough. Genuinely, it's not enough. And it's just... I just so, he's awful on the mic. So why then get him to explain the double cross, which takes four minutes for him to explain... What's going on? Which we can all abundantly see what's going on. It's this is just it's all, and this. There's one point when the you know, match eventually starts where Lawler says this may go on forever, and I actually just went fuck no because <laughs> <laughs> it felt like it wasn't going to end because clearly you know I get I get the whole point you know he's let out years of frustration with the chair and that kind of thing but the well, the ref comes over at some point and says right two more and he carries on. And you just think, of course you are. Of course you're doing it because, you know, you haven't forgotten what happened in the past and you think this is what people want and it isn't. Nobody wants this. It is. It, I think it's genuinely one of the worst things I've ever seen at WrestleMania. Um, Carl, I'm really fascinated by the booking of this match. Do you think it was booked this way to placate Bret Hart or to make him look daft? Hello. That's a good question, isn't it? Both. Because he he's the face and he looks, he looks like have an you, awful, awful man for beating up an elderly gentleman. Have you seen Wrestling With Shadows? Of course, yeah. Yeah, so Wrestling With Shadows documentary kind of has about the screw job mm. and Bret Hart's career. Anyone should seek it out who hasn't seen it. It's fantastic. fantastic. Near the end of it, there's a voiceover. Bret Hart's in a park walking on his dog or whatever. And someone basically says Bret Hart is wrestling's Hamlet. Where he doesn't realise he's in a tragedy and he's the tragic figure. And he's trying to like wrestle wrestle with the, the narrative and whatnot and he's completely unable to beat Shakespeare and the forces around him because he doesn't understand that he's in a tragedy and he has to lose so yeah I guess that's what this match is he again he Bret Hart doesn't strike me as a smart man no I think that's probably fair he's a he's a rich man isn't he but on, and again on wrestling with shadows we see that room he's got dedicated to Bret Hart Mm. which is just all stuff of him. And we see him watching The Simpsons with him in it. We see even he's got an action figure in his uh, kid's fish tank. Maybe smart, Bret Hart. savvy. Yeah. He doesn't strike me as a savvy man. He strikes me as someone who's quite naive and keeps trusting Vince McMahon, even though Vince McMahon repeatedly for years has referred to himself as the devil. Um, this was one of the very first matches before I started watching wrestling week to week that I watched. So I was like, oh, I might start watching wrestling again. Started watching loads of YouTube promos and then watching if I could find the match on YouTube, I'd watch it. So this, like, I find out, find out about the screw job on, like, a conversation in a, in a pub. I'm like, wait, what? What happened in 1997? Amazing, fantastic. Type in Vince. Someone goes, oh, there's a Vince McMahon, Bret Hart match. Watch the promo. Promo package and the documentary. Again, WWE's filmmaking is amazing. I'm like, oh, this will be an amazing match. Watch it at, like, 7 o'clock on my laptop one day going, what is, what is this? Bret Hart trying to get cathartic relief in beating Vince McMahon senseless and not realising that it just looks like a 50-year-old man panning in a 70-year-old man and therefore he looks terrible is once he, Mr Vince McMahon's done it again. Bret screwed Bret. And that's the last we see of Bret Hart at WrestleMania. Carrie, you, you're pulling a face I that am. says, I have something to say. I do, because I think part of the reason that it does look like that and it is so uncomfortable to watch is from what's not said. There's also the fact that Brett's brother died in Vince's ring. That's never talked about. And yes, they're giving us this build about the screw job, which is obviously part of it, but all the way through it's, it's, it's visible, but unsaid that Brett is also still broken by the fact that his brother died. And yeah, well, he lost his, he lost his, brother-in-law and best mate he lost his brother he's lost a myriad of people close to him mm. 
he has a stroke. He comes back, from, like he gets concussed, has a stroke, gets back to it all, and I still don't think he's got over Sean. In that Sean doc- in the documentary where they're both sat next to each other, Brett, there's this great, great, yeah, okay, WWE documentary where JR basically sits Brett and Sean down and mm. makes them talk about their problems with each other. And Brett is constantly firing barbs at Sean, like, you mm. did this, you did this, you did this. I thought you were crass. I thought you were this, you this. And Sean's entire defense was, I was a drug addict. Yeah. I'm all hopped up on pills. I don't know if I did that or not, but if you're saying I did that, fine. And you can see Brett sort of wanting to jump out of his chair and go, acknowledge that you did all these bad things to me. And that must be very frustrating, though, because you can, if you're just using the defense of, well, I was a drug addict, then, you know, that's an explanation, but not necessarily an excuse. You can see why it would rile him up a little bit, I guess. Bad breakup. You should have a bad breakup and, you you know, you meet your ex one day and you're going to them, you did all these bad things to me. And they're like, probably, I'm really, really sorry. I'm like, no, no, like, admit you did these bad things to me. Yes, and be anxious. Like, be sorry sorry and be anxious. And I don't think Vince, and I don't think Sean, I don't think he will ever get those things. So Bret Hart is wrestling Samlet. It's, it's so nice that some, such a troubled person has such a supportive family around him, isn't it? So. <laughs> right, well, it, listen, don't go back and watch this match if you haven't. Watch Wrestling With Shadows instead if you haven't seen that, because that was superb. Um, I was going to say, this will cleanse our palate. Uh, the 10 Diva Tag Team Match. Lakel, Vicky Guerrero, Alicia Fox, Maurice versus Eve Torres, Mickey James, Kelly Kelly, Gail Kim and Beth Phoenix. McCall was the women's champ coming here. Alicia Fox was the Divas champ. I forgot they had separate um, separate belts for that. Dr. Dunn, the floor is yours. I can't. I can't do it. Someone else is going to have to. I can't. <laughs> Take us to I can't. I just... Oh. I mean, working our way back, it's it's not going to get better any time in the near future, is it, when we're looking over these? This is just terrible. Um, the objectification, the signs you're getting in the crowd, the way they talk about Vicky breaks my heart. Mm. Um, Who is it? Basically, um, what I would say, an average-sized woman. Average-sized woman. She's she's a, she's attractive. She's not kind of she's not the divas in inverted commas ideal. But you know, oh jeez. The way they talk about her is just horrible. Jerry Lawler is horrible. I hate my life. They, they actually call the match that ends the move the hog, hog splash, splash don't yes. they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and the thing about Vicky Guerrero is she was a brilliant heel during this time. She didn't need any of this. She had excuse me, and that was the most over thing in the company for a long time. There was no need for them to try and put heat on her in the way that they did. Vicky Guerrero is amazing in that because I have this gap, I have this still adult opinion of, oh, so-and-so wrestler, they're terrible. I hate them. And then a very nice, more sensible person go, you are being worked. So I thought Kurt Angle was awful. I thought he was trash, disgusting. You should get out of the way. And so, no, Kurt Angle's one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. He's just the heel to Stone Cold and The Rock. Go back and watch them. And I did. I went, oh, wow. Kurt Angle's the best. And I've, I've ha- I'm having a similar thing with Vicky Guerrero right now where she had X-Park heat where you just wanted her off your TV screen and she was terrible and she makes everything you like awful. And then you watch it again, a bit older. Like, You're amazing. You're holding this whole show together by sheer force of personality. You've been given a job due to tragic circumstances involving your husband and you have no conventional wrestling training, but you just held it together by being incredibly anti-charismatic and your ability to do anything and play it completely straight to the best of your ability. And I, I'm scared to keep watching more Vicky Guerrero, but also like really intrigued because when she's on TV, I can't look away. That's great. Jerry Lola is garbage, garbaggio, trash. There's a bit where you come to the ring. Uh, Jerry Lola goes, look at Kelly Kelly's outfit. Matt Striker goes, yeah, what about it? And Lola goes, do you think I can talk her out of it? To which the answer is no. You know, you, yeah. you, you're no, an elderly no, person. No, no, she's, she's an attractive She's young 20. Woman. Yeah. Beat, beat. It's weird. Beat, beat, <laughs> beat. One of the commentators go, hey, Lola, didn't you live with Kelly Kelly for a little bit? And Lola goes, I did. And then she found out I was living there. And no. you just go, oh. and that's that. Um, my notes read, boy, Beth Phoenix never gets a singles match. Uh, also, poor Mickey James. Um, and, and also, Michelle McCall has a styles clash. Near the end of the match, someone busts out a style clash, and I'm like, "Wait, what? How? It's it's like finding a Boeing seven four seven in the ruins of feudal Japan." He's like, "What? <laughs> How has this happened?" Um, this match is not great. The commentary is disgusting, but also Vicky Guerrero's there, and I, I like Vicky Guerrero now. 
But the, re- the reason Vicky Guerrero is in this match is simply because she doesn't look like the others. So she was obviously a heel for what we're talking sort of four or five years up to this point. And by this point, the fans, because of what the, the product they're seeing and the way they treat women, they're actually baying for her blood, physically baying for her blood. And they're laughing at the fact she's in ring gear and they want her to get physically get hurt. And you're just thinking, this, you, W built this up. They built up this kind of horrible mentality towards her. And it was that, that's one of the many, many reasons why they shouldn't be forgiven for the way they treated women. Because they actually had somebody who was just perfect at her, at her job in terms of, you know, she came in as a kind of acting heel, effectively. And yet they got to the point where they were just like, actually, no, we want to physically humiliate you as well. Hmm. But on the way out, she got to, she actually went out making Steph look bad. Her final appearance on Raw, she co- covered Steph in some goop or something or whatever, which no, you, you sort of, you compare that to Dilda, uh, Dildo, Lita getting hit with her own dildos and oh, stuff yeah. on her last night. Um, that's quite different. So they, it, it almost felt to me like they thought, uh, we maybe should have treated her a bit better and she would have stuck around rather than going to be a, what is she now? She's a pharma, pharmacist or something Medical random like that, isn't yeah, she? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The thing about your point about essentially you eventually pushed into doing in-ring stuff. I think that happens to all heel managers and commentators uh, to a degree. So Heyman has to take a bump. You know, it, it's classic. Eventually, Bobby Heenan has to take a bump, slice open his forehead and bleed on the ground. Yeah, but when, when, Mike, when Michael Cole wears, you know, puts his ring back, when I was like, oh, look at him, he just looks a bit silly. They're not laughing at the fact... There's something more Sinister, vile about it. Yeah. There's, a, there's a horrible sexual element about it as yes, well. Yes, there is. And um, that's, that's my issue. I well, think, one of my main issues with it. I th- this is the doubly worrying thing. I don't think WWE see that bit. I no, think they just no, see it's a classic. Oh, now the heel manager has to get beaten up. Um, well, they had you you know, earlier in the show you know, another Mae Young appearance, and again, it's funny because she's old. Mm. And again, you don't get that with the with with the older men. You know, if if an old male wrestler turns up, it's like hooray, legend. May always gets kind of sexualized in a kind of that's absolutely gross kind of way it's yeah it's just so yeah it's just wwe and that makes it all the odder that the women's tournament was called the may young classic i think when as we go back and we see what she was used for it's a kind of apology i think it's Mm. saying actually you're probably quite good at wrestling really thanks for what you did that we completely embarrassed you and trashed your reputation Next up, CM Punk versus Rey Mysterio. This was when Punk was doing the Jesus bit, the straight edge society. Um, he'd interrupted Rey's daughter, Aaliyah's ninth birthday celebration, which was just absolutely fabulous. And they put all that in the hype video. Um, one thing that I noticed about this, which I'd totally forgotten, was Rey's botched entrance, where he's supposed to <laughs> leap out the sky, but he has to crawl out the stage because the thing that propels him doesn't actually propel him up. Um, and the commentators tried to cover it by saying, mind games from Mysterio, <laughs> <laughs> like, nah, just the thing, the, the ramp broke and he, he's had to crawl out. Um, this, to me, felt like a really good match, which could have been a great match if it had been five minutes longer. Oh, interesting. Mm. Um, I love this, but I really love this kind of era of punk. Actually, I love most eras of punk, but this is kind of particularly brilliant because if you listen to the exact words punk says, he makes entirely reasonable things absolutely OTT and completely heel just through sheer force of sanctimony it's just brilliant it's textbook heel work and I yeah I love watching the uh, the hype package of weeping children that's always funny and uh, yeah I just love this but five minutes longer why would you say that I just uh, yeah, a couple of times I thought they were kind of rushing to get stuff in rather than letting it breathe a little bit which is something that we'll get onto in um, in many years to come as we go back through it but as Carrie says Carl this is this is like punk when he's just really hitting his stride i remember him on a smackdown in the build-up saying to ray uh that it was something like that mask is your drug and all of these parasites in the crowd are your enablers and you think that wasn't written for you <laughs> you wrote that yourself uh it, it, weird the straight edge society could have been something huge for nothing but they kind of killed it just when it was getting some momentum that's classic cm punk has invented something they don't understand and nicks it uh, i thought this was a great nothing match from three or four weeks build Rey Mysterio coming out dressed as a Na'vi from Avatar is a hilarious oh yeah Avatar was a massive cultural <laughs> moment for like two months uh, I really love this I, I love the straight edge society just really fun I also have in my notes oh look Dominic got big because obviously <laughs> loads of wrestling fans remember Dominic from the ladder match for the child custody with uh, Eddie Guerrero at SummerSlam so watching Dominic next to his sister you're like oh you've 
You're happy and healthy. Good for you. And of course, Dominic now is being trained by Jay Lethal to be uh, a wrestler himself. Um, Dominic Rey Mysterio's son, if you can believe that, he's Good all knowledge. he's all grown up. Um, this was the two two excellent wrestlers who had a cause to fight about, which makes you more interested in the match that they have. It's quite easy, isn't it? I I was invested in this simply because of the hype package, because of, I saw a girl a little girl cry, effectively, <laughs> and because I believe that Punk could do that to any little child that he sees. Um, I kind of disagree about the straight edge society simply because if you have a faction when the leaders and they still would have you know either root for or boo the faction the other two are a bit nothing they didn't really do anything with with uh Swindee and, and luke gallows so i always felt it was a little bit kind of wasted in terms of so <laughs> yeah that was not a joke but yeah fine um so and I've never been so it was just, yeah it was it was just a fun match in terms of I wasn't really bothered about what happened with the straight edge society I definitely didn't care about what I've never really cared about what happens with Rey Mysterio I just enjoy his matches I find the character kind of cliched and this whole underdog thing I get it he's small but you know, let's just say he's really good in the ring and just deal with that but um, so yeah it's just a fun match I mean six one nine is it a crap crap move yes yes Punk made it good good which which. It's yeah. hard to do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. When, when you can make the setup for a 619 not look contrived, that's a sign of a great wrestler. My, my... So, good wrestling finishing moves, signature moves. Uh, can you hit it anywhere in the ring? Can you hit it in midair? Can you hit it outside the ring? Which is why Randy Orton will always have a career, because he can do all of those things. The Stunner being a classic example yeah. of that as well. Put it to, put it on anyone at any time, as we'll find out in a couple of WrestleMania's yeah. time. Um, next up, I want to go to Triple H in not the longest nut match of the night, Shocker. Uh, less than 13 minutes he registered against Sheamus. A very, very low-key entrance. Um, apparently, at this point, Triple H was a massive, massive fan of Sheamus. I say apparently. I read it in an interview with him in Power Slam around this time, where he said, Sheamus is my favourite guy because the other day he turned up to a media appearance that he wasn't booked for and he's always in the gym and he's my training partner, blah, blah, blah. I would ask you then, Carrie, why did uh, Papa Paul proceed to bury Seamus by beating him in this match? Because Triple H. Thank you. (laughs) Seriously, what are you expecting (laughs) me to say? But they'd spent so much time building Seamus up in his debut year. He'd beaten Cena for the title. He was green at this point. He looked pretty clumsy but they put all that momentum behind him but you're right the answer is Triple H (laughs) the answer is Triple H yeah the answer is always Triple H to that kind of question why didn't he get the grand entrance this time is that is that a concession to the fact that there wasn't much heat behind this match and nobody was too fussed about it didn't have the title involved in it for example my notes read oh shit it's barrier to main event Triple H the best Triple H so the best Triple H and the best John Cena are you have to get past me to get to the main event and then my, my next comment is, oh no, they haven't figured out how to do barrier to main event Triple H yet. Because Triple H... Do you think Triple H knows he's a bad guy? Even when I he's doing he's all this... he's just the like, guy, isn't he, in his mind? He's just the guy. Mm. Mm. He's the kingmaker, very much so. Um, Anton, Seamus has been around for ages and ages and ages. Now I, I, They came through at the same time, so it's a comparison I quite often make with him and Wade Barrett. Stu Bennett, whatever you want to call them. I think they were signed at the same time. They certainly came through the same British Indies at the same time. We're talking about Triple H not putting him over here, but do you think that that friendship that he clearly has with him is one of the reasons why he's been kept around for so long? Because, I mean, between he and Wade Barrett, I'd suggest that there's probably not a great deal in difference in terms of wrestling quality and their character and stuff, but Barrett felt, nobody's backing me in creative meetings. I'm never going to go any further than this. I might as well walk out. Seamus maybe thinks there's always somebody in my corner. I've never heard anyone say anything bad about Seamus. Um, I've never heard anyone say anything bad about Stu, but in terms of Seamus does put the work in and loves the media side. He loves he loves all the other stuff. So when we talk about The Miz or when you talk about Jericho, the reason they're you know, such company men is because they'll, they'll go on the Today Show. And So Seamus is like a lesser version of that. He'll go, you know, he'll do all the, you know, the indie podcasts. He'll do all the, you know, he'll, he'll speak to you know, local television and that kind of thing. Because he genuinely enjoys it, he he just likes riffing and messing around, and not having to work to a script. And I think that plays really well, sort of corporately. Uh, and secondly, Seamus is a broken man now, in terms of physically, mm. physically, <laughs> physically. I mean, he's in amazing shape, but you look at the matches that he's had in the last six months; they are not the same as they were when him and Cesaro first came on the scene, and they're throwing themselves around the ring. Spinal stenosis is the word going around the campfire, exactly. isn't it? Which is not something you ever recover from. And there is an element in terms of they owe him. He's put his time in. He's, you know, 
He's had to take some knocks at, at manias and big rain events. He's never really, he's kind of had an up and down career. He's had to go and figure out where to go in terms of tag teams or partner up with people and that kind of thing to try and give his career a push. He's kind of been left in the wilderness. So I think it's now that they're paying him back by keeping him around and still keeping him in, in tag team matches. I'll stay with you, Anton, as we go on to our next match. Cena versus Batista. I want to talk about the uh, 2000, what was it, five Raw Rumble? Was it this Raw Rumble? The Raw Rumble where um, <laughs> it came down to, to Big Dave and Johnny and they botched the finish and Vince came out and blew out both his quads. Yep. Um, yet these two <laughs> stayed in Vince's good graces yep. in spite of that. Um, was that the... his face in the corner when he's really confused as to what's happening. What's going on? But he can't stand up. That's just pointing with his hands. Um I I'm mean, sorry, I be laughing at it, it, it's he, one of the reasons he, why you love Vince McMahon, isn't he, it? That's how into it he, he looks is. like he's doing an angry Fandango dance, doesn't he? Because he's just, just, just pointing in the corner. Um, I, I don't, yeah, you're right. I don't understand. Well, we know why John Cena stayed in the company races because he was the top merch seller at the time and, you know, the school kid's favourite. So, and Batista, I don't know whether some, there was some kind of. You know, Hollywood soothsayer who knew he'd go and have some kind of mainstream career or they just liked the big guy. And they just thought, we haven't got anybody that can win a match in 30 seconds and make it look that convincing. Um, so I don't really know how these two stayed. Because they stayed at the top for a long time. Um, so you don't think Batista is underrated then? I think he was good at what he did. And there's, mm. no, harm in, there's no harm in that. Um, but does he get the right, in retrospect now, does he get... Because we're sort of watching these in batches, aren't we? And as we, we go through this run that we're on now from 26 to 23, one theme that I kept thinking was, huh, Batista had some pretty good matches. And maybe we didn't think that at the time. That's fair. And I think it's interesting now when people are talking about Batista having an, a final run before he turns 50. Because he was asked, obviously, recently, would you come back? And he said, I initially had a conversation with Triple H to come back at WrestleMania 34 in the Ronda match, but he, he originally agreed and then didn't return my calls. And then it's interesting talking to other people about that because I kind of agree. I thought he was a lot more revered by wrestling fans than he actually is. I was surprised that people for, you know kind of forget he main evented a lot, a lot more than you think he did. But he main events in that dry spell where a lot of people switch off because Cena's in, in like is the true star and he's not the in-ring person who offers a nice palate cleanse if you're bored of Cena. He has a... Cena's very cartoony. Batista has a different cartoony style. So, And they're both holding titles and running around main events. So if you don't like that sort of wrestling style, if you like him more Chris Jericho stuff, you're very bored and you switch off. And there's loads of gaps in people's knowledge at Batista's... You, you, like, how many title reigns has he got? Like, really? Huh? Like, I remember him winning at 21. I remember him beating... the. I remember having the feud with Undertaker. That's it. I don't know any of this phase where it, well, why have you got a belly button tattoo? <laughs> I think also I think also think the, the almost the worst thing is the way he left WWE is the thing that everybody remembers the most like oh the best he what a great way to end him. Mm. I mean he's on the wheelchair and I quit and all that kind of thing you just think where's where's that guy been and then he's gone and you're just thinking okay fine so we'll forget about Batista because we'll never he'll never be that that much fun again and then the second run just didn't work did it it didn't click heel face and they didn't know what to do with him and so I get it but I agree with you I think he's a lot better than people give him credit for um, it's okay to have a small moveset when you can bench press that much and you can hurt people that, that badly it's mm. fine um, Carrie somebody had a sign in the crowd which said Batista loves fish sticks uh, fish fingers as we call him in the UK do you love fish fingers and or Batista I love both in fact um, right. I'm becoming increasingly in love with Batista as we work our way backwards actually and I think Again, at the time, I kind of missed it. And now, as we're kind of going backwards, I'm appreciating him more. God God bless him and his three moves that he can do and his, and his little face, yeah. <laughs> well, he taps here to the no-pressure STF, as everybody invariably <laughs> does. Um, at the end of the match, uh, a shout-out to uh, the fan who Cena goes to celebrate with with the Cena sucks sign, <laughs> and the fan gives him the thumbs down. So well done for, um, for kayfabing that all the way. As we finish or look to wrap up here, a couple more matches to talk about, including the opener, Show Miz uh, versus R-Truth and Morrison. So Big Show and Miz versus R-Truth and Carrie's favourite, John Morrison. For the unified tag titles, it kicked off the show. It lasted about three minutes. Um, you love John Morrison, Carrie. How come he's never come back? 
I think he has better things to do at this point. I think he seems to be enjoying his his acting work, which is funny because he was a dreadful actor in WWE. But um, this match was really weird. Did they even mention kind of Eminem and anything like that during this? I don't remember. I mean, as you say, I had three minutes, but it was all, yeah, very strange. And heel big show and, yeah, I don't care. Show Miz had a bit of it had a bit of something to it, didn't it? Because it, it, initially it was um, Jericho, wasn't it? Jericho and Big Show, and then went to, to um, Big Show and Miz. Miz was kind of just finding his feet, really. I guess still at this time, um, he, had an, he had an individual title at the same time. Yeah, he he looked great with the gold at that point. Start you know third person out seeing that, you just think that makes a lot of sense. That looks great. Like you know. Perhaps that was the precursor, you know, in terms of just maybe not the actual moment, but in terms of seeing him as a as a heel champ, you know, may well have helped in terms of like, on a lesser level, may well have helped with the push in terms of some people just look right with gold, and he did. And our truth doesn't. Our truth. It was the first person out at WrestleMania. How disappointed would you be if you'd been? Yeah, I had your tickets for six months, and you spent, <laughs> you know, fifteen dollars on a program and fifteen dollars on a hot dog. You're thinking, here we go. Oh, what's this guy doing? What's up? My favorite thing what is, is up. He's been around for in different incarnations since the Attitude Era. No idea what he's rapping. No, it's just. I preferred it when he was getting rowdy as uh, K Quick. I also just prefer that version, which is the Vic and, Vic and Bob style. Very much so. Um, there was a pre-show battle royal that we didn't see that Yoshi Tatsu won. Um, I think that's pretty much all that we can say about that. In terms of the Hall of Fame, this was a, a pretty good class. No rapists, pussy grabbers, fascists or Kid Rock. Uh, Mad Dog Vachon, Wendy Richter, Stu Hart, Gorgeous George, Antonio Inoki, Bob Yuka, who got um, choked by Andre at a, a previous mania. He did a very funny speech. Uh, and Ted DiBiossi. So a pretty sensible class, if a crowded one. If I ever get inducted to any Hall of Fame, can you make sure my ex doesn't put me in? I've Go- got the note. The former wife of gorgeous yeah. George. <laughs> what? <laughs> I don't, don't do that. Do not do that. <laughs> um, a serious question, sort of serious, as serious as you can get about the Hall of Fame. Carl, Mania 35 next year, I propose we have two to three inductees. Uh, we hold it at a much smaller venue, make it an hour long, and then we can all get on and, and, and live our lives and we don't have to induct people who maybe aren't worth it or just bore the arse off people who go and watch it for five hours. I agree. I also think there should be a physical Hall of Fame. Much like in basketball and NFL, there should be a building in Connecticut where they just put all the memorabilia in there, put all the different versions of the IC title and make it a massive museum and just let people just play around all the things. Um, Anoki in the Hall of Fame is hilarious because Anoki doesn't do much ever in WWE, but it's a real sort of history is written by the winners. Just sort of, oh, you're the most notable, one of the most notable Japanese wrestlers. You just get in there. And Noki's very, very happy. I wish he slapped someone because being slapped by Noki is one of the greatest privileges of all time. <laughs> um, anyone listening to this, look up the tour to North Korea and Noki and Ric Flair do, which is a thing that happened. That's wow. Partridge suggested, or is that an actual <laughs> program? Ric Flair and Noki with a collection of other wrestlers went on a tour to North Korea. Wow. It's sensational. We shall check that out before the next episode. Last word um, on this to you, Carrie, is the Hart family aficionado. Tell people who maybe don't know a little bit about Stu and what he did and why he's in the Hall of Fame. So Stu Hart was uh, an excellent amateur wrestler. Um, he set up Stampede Wrestling in, in Canada, became pro wrestler, obviously the patriarch of the Hart family how he managed that family and <laughs> failed to make any money and <laughs> the business failures is another story entirely but as as a wrestler absolutely absolutely incredible and also as a trainer because obviously he was uh, in charge of the infamous uh, heart dungeon and they always talk about Tyson Kidd being the last graduate of that and Natalia being the only female graduate of it so they're the last two to graduate and the kid on wrestling with shadows who Stu stretches this big muscle bound guy who uh, is being stretched by this 80 year old man just keeps going stop it sir stop it I've had enough and Stu's going your lips are turning a little blue he was a mean dude but well worthy of a place in the WWE Hall of Fame if we're going to sum this up then I'll probably say a lot of filler one massive thriller to save the show Uh, do you have a Wrestlemania moment Carrie? um 
Not really. I mean, I did enjoy the retro don't try this little 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 thing with Ray Ray talking about his knee being screwed over five times. I, I enjoyed that. It made, made me think back to the heady days of 2010. But um, yeah, I mean, punk, I enjoyed punk, the entire thing. But this was not a good show in general. Carl, did it have many WrestleMania moments for you? No, not really. Um, I really like John Cena. I'm now going back in time and beginning to realise why you... <laughs> fine folk don't like John Cena um, so the h- horribly overblown military entrance with the Air Force the gun uh, moving their rifles around I'm going why Why has there never been a wrestler a heel wrestler to appear go up to John Cena and go you never served <laughs> yeah the marine doesn't count yeah <laughs> it's right there just walk up to John Cena and be like, Get, you never served I did bang Next pay per view. Cena can go over, whatever. Randy Orton could do it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't finish. I got thrown in jail, but at least I signed up. <laughs> uh, Adson, WrestleMania moment, any? I have, I kind of agree with Carl to a certain point, but actually, actually no, I don't actually. It's the opposite point. I'm like, scrap, scrap that. No, um, <laughs> in terms of, it was, I don't, I'm not a Cena fan as we, as we well established, but him going to celebrate with an I hate Cena. Fan wearing a nice I hate Cena t shirt is the most anti Cena thing to do. I was like, oh, I actually have to give you a bit of begrudging respect for that. That's my favourite thing you've ever done at WrestleMania. <laughs> um, and just Shawn Michaels' contorted face at the end, in terms of at the end of the match, and just the emotion was clear. And I, like I said, I'm not a huge Michaels fan in terms of who he is, but that was just a lovely piece of storytelling. Yeah, I think that's probably the WrestleMania moment that stands out most. Um, Say what you want about him outside the ring, but inside certainly one of the greatest that WWE um, have ever been graced with. Next week, we're going to be talking WrestleMania 25. Sean versus Taker 1, the Hardy Brothers going at it, Chris Jericho up against some old geezers, and a really empowering end to the first ever Women's Battle Royal. Yeah. Um, Carrie? Where can people keep up with you on the social media? On the Twitters at Carrie Sparkle. And Carl? You can find me at Anchorman616. And Anton? At Sky Anton. And don't forget to follow us at the PU Podcast. I'm at Matt Davis FC. Davis is D-A-V-I-E-S. Please do tweet us, review us, share and subscribe. I've been Matt Davis and this has been Parts Unknown. The Parts Unknown Wrestling Podcast is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email sales at muddyneesmedia.com.